0: On this episode of Take This Down, I sit down with Jennifer Trevino, Executive Director of Leadership Fort Worth. We talk about her upbringing growing up in Joshua, Texas, to her days at Texas Tech, to ultimately what propelled her to community activism, which led her to her role today. You're gonna to wanna to take this down. Well, Jennifer, thank you for joining me on uh, Take This Down. It's always good to have a friend, or at least I consider you a friend. I hope it's the same. Uh, but thank you for being willing to sit down and have a conversation with me.
1: Absolutely, Ty. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's, it's a tradition of mine, and if you've seen the show or watch an episode, I always like to tell my guests why I invited them on the show. Uh, yeah. You know, I know we kind of offline. I've told you that, you know, the fir- our first time we met was on our time uh, in service with the Race and Culture Task Force, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But, you know, I got to follow you uh, and just see know, not only what you were doing in the community, but what you have done leading up to that. Mm -hmm. You know, me being an attorney, I always research who I'm going to be working with. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I just, I loved everything I saw, everything I read and just continue to follow you in your uh, endeavors and how you have progressed along, not only professionally, but what you've done in the community. I was like, I have to have you here. And and so, so we're here. So thank oh, you. Well,
1: thank you. That's so, so nice of you to say. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed working together with you as well in the task force, even though it was a, not, not necessarily an easy no. uh, project that we were working on.
0: All right, all right. So just to kind of get right into sure. Jennifer Trevino, you
1: know, who is Jennifer Trevino? Oh gosh. That's a loaded question, right? Of course. Um, So lots of different hats and titles and things, you know, besides being uh, a dog mom and a a wife, um, daughter, sister, sister sister-in-law, hopefully best friend and, you know, good neighbor, but uh, also someone who has always tried to make a difference. So, you know, growing up as a kid, we talked about uh, business at the table, dinner table, family dinners, um, my parents both worked in the family business that was on, owned by my uh, mom's uncles. Uh, so that I grew up with that. We didn't talk politics. We didn't talk, you know, other things. But that was that was business was always. So I always knew I wanted to go into business. And so that's what sparked kind of that background for me. I knew I could do a lot of different things with it. And then followed, uh, I had a friend of mine who was a year older than me in uh, Joshua High School, oh. where I graduated small town. so. You know, valedictorian of a class of I think 157, something like that.
0: At least there's 156 kids you knew you're exactly, (laughs)
1: exactly worked harder. You know, GPA, all that kind of stuff. But uh, so she went out to Texas Tech, and then I went to visit when I was a senior and loved it. I loved how Lubbock was. You know, small town, but college town, and big enough and far enough away, but still could get home on the weekends. So I wanted that full college experience. So that's what kind of contributed there, but. You know, knowing that business would take me in a bunch of different directions, and I really enjoyed the management courses I was taking as electives, so I added that as a double major to the marketing degree that I earned, and then made my way back to the Metroplex, and have been bouncing around ever since, but then when I met my husband um, back in 2001, blind date, by the way, <laughs> introduced by family uh, cousin of mine and, and uh, her husband, and... We uh, hit it off, and so I went back to school and pivoted uh, to get on the corporate side. So like a lot of folks here in Fort Worth, I have a, a stint with Radio Shack <laughs> in the marketing department and you know, got on the – used that TCU-invaded pivot. But uh, I think you know, for me, I've always been somebody that wanted to do good things, uh, do well at whatever my job was and everything. And I think for me, when I was at Radio Shack, that's when I figured out too – that something was kind of missing, and I'd started volunteering after my MBA uh, program at TCU, so with the Hispanic Women's Network and others. So that's what sparked kind of this give back, gotcha. be part of the community, and then going through Leadership Fort Worth while I was at the Health Science Center. They supported my participation in the program. You know, I think back to 2009 when I graduated. That that program is what planted so many seeds of why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Gotcha. And even made that pivot into the Nonprofit leadership.
0: Okay. I don't want to get there, but I want to go yeah. back a little bit. Yeah. Joshua, Texas. That's oh, where gosh. you grew up. <laughs> yeah. So Joshua, for those who may not know, what we say, roughly 30 minutes southwest from Fort Worth. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you grew up in a, a, a biracial family. Yes. How was growing up in a biracial family <laughs> in Joshua, Texas?
1: You can imagine, I bet. So this was early 90s, late 80s when my family moved out there. Um, originally, we were living in Arlington for about a year. My parents wanted a little land, a little slower pace of life. Uh, they looked at the, the school I was going to go to in high school and thought, oh, that's not exactly what it was. So then we went out to, like I felt like, the other extreme, <laughs> From, you know, elementary school, it was like cul-de-sac, suburbia, to, um, you know, Joshua. And so, yeah, back then, you know, late 80s, early 90s, my family didn't look like any other family in in town. I remember us going to our first football game as a family and people in the stands turning and looking. And I didn't really understand why quite then. But then, of course, it kicked in by high school Mm -hmm. and kind of had a little bit of an identity crisis Um, just from the standpoint of like, well, what am I, you know, not knowing, knowing that my parents had done a really good job of infusing our culture and family traditions and all those kinds of things, but not like overly saying, okay, well, this is on the black side of your family or this is on the Hispanic, like it just was part of the day to day. Um, we also had my, my grandmother, so my dad's mother, um, who lived with us from the time I was three. And so my younger brother doesn't know any different either, you know, grew up with us, helped take care of us. My my parents were working, Um, but she was also that depression era kid. So there was a lot of those values that really pushed into us um, as kids as well. And so, you know, I think she did a lot. And my parents did, too, without explicitly saying, because you're a woman, because you're a woman of color, da-da-da-da-da, you're going to have to work hard all that. But they just instilled good worth ethic in us and said, nobody's going to hand you things. Right,
0: right. So it seems like it was foundational for you, but you just didn't know at that particular time why it was the foundation. And and so, you know, growing up, you know, being biracial in Joshua, Texas, did you ever feel... Like, one, uh, you didn't fit in or that you were different? Oh, or, yeah. All the time. Because kids were nice, you know?
1: Nah, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, and I, my grandmother used to say things like, you know, you can't argue with ignorance. Right. And I truly was. Can you
0: repeat that one more time? You cannot argue with ignorance.
1: You cannot argue with ignorance.
0: I, I, I love that. Phrase.
1: I have to remind myself sometimes, you know, when I think, what would grandma say? Um but it's true because in many ways, too, I was the first person like me that they were dealing with. Right. So as you can imagine, it was predominantly white, um, you know, very much more, much more rural than it is now because Burleson hadn't grown, the toll right. road hadn't come to, towards Cleburne and all that. So that area was still very rural. Um, and just sort of small-town thinking, you know, so the fact that we were— people of color, and then there was the mixed race, mixed heritage, was was different. And so they were repeating or saying things that they were taught or was okay in their family. So we helped shift some of that narrative, I think, in some ways, because I already knew I was working hard. So I was a good student, decent athlete. Right. You know, I knew I had to be better. I used it as a, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, and I had some friends that would, you know, sometimes fight my battles at the lunch table or you know, I would usually just leave if a slur came up, if, uh, you know, inappropriate comment or joke or anything like that. Just because, one, I'm not that – I'm the one that's like driving home later going, oh, I should have said this, you know. But I had some friends that are a lot quicker on the on the draw than I was on that kind See, of thing. See, I needed a
0: friend like you growing up because I was the guy <laughs> that – didn't, didn't ask to repeat, just heard one thing. I could have been mistaken what I've heard, but I would react and my mom would have to leave work a lot to come, you know, trust my <laughs> behavior and my actions. So, mom, I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, I think I've made up you know. for it since then. I have to work on that sometimes, that defensiveness, that reaction now. Uh,
0: but it sounds like even from a, a younger age, you were a change agent because you, you said something along the lines that... You would help change the narrative or change, you know, what people have been taught or what they had heard or what they were repeating and kind of help change that narrative. Yeah,
1: You know, I think that I hadn't thought of it exactly in that term until we we're talking right now. But, um, you know, I just wanted to prove them wrong. I wanted to prove that, you know, I was just as good, if not better or whatever, and that I could, you know, do well, um, you know, so. You know, trying to keep it manageable so it wasn't a chip on my shoulders type of thing. But, you know, yeah, voted most likely to succeed by right, my right. peers. Um, you know, nobody was surprised that I went off away to school, scholarship, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and that I'm doing well, yes. you know, relatively well now.
0: Oh, you are. Uh, and you are. So so how was the transition to Lubbock?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, you know, a little scary at first, you know, I thought, okay. A little homesick, you know, but, uh, you know, I remember my mom and, you know, you, did you know you can pack food with dry ice and get some of your home cooked <laughs> meals uh, that way? And that's what I learned too, you know, Thanksgiving was was a new favorite holiday because you get all the home cooking. Uh, I didn't gain weight. I actually lost weight because nope. I missed home cooking. <laughs> Lots of cereal in the dorms, but, uh, you know, I found my way. I, I joined a, uh, a co ed business fraternity, Alpha Kappa Psi. And, I'm
0: in Alpha Oh, ah, <laughs> yeah. well, I don't hardly Brooklyn, ever. Talking. You know, you know the Brooklyn Ford Oh know? my gosh! Oh my
1: gosh! I haven't even thought about that in years. Um, but I joined that as my at a sophomore year and met some great people, and it was a good, you know, good organization for me. It was diverse, and then just business interests, and right. you know, of course, there's some things that we would go through as pledges and things that I'm like. What, what does this have to do with Lip Figured out later, like, the transition and how it like, can translate to right. real-life lessons and pressure. Right. But, uh, you know, I still have some friends that I even keep in touch with from that. Um, enjoyed Lubbock. Sense. You know, loved being able to get around town and, you know, had that college experience but not get in too much trouble. Right,
0: right, right. And so when you went to college, I know you mentioned, you oh. know, your your parents, you all talked the business oh. growing up. And so you knew you— Was going to go off and major in business? But did you know which direction, which path you wanted to go
1: in? Um, I was pretty sure it was going to be marketing. You know, finance and accounting were fine. Statistics is my nemesis. (laughs) Um, But I really enjoyed, like, marketing, the management, consumer behavior, all those organizational behavior. And so I think, you know, that played a role. And I knew, you know, pretty much any organization, I'd be able to transfer those skills, especially with those basics. Um, and f- fell into retail partly because I was wanting a job that I could work in Lubbock and then go back and forth at home. So I worked for Target and uh, Lubbock, and then here in Fort Worth and back and forth. Um, and applied to go into their kind of management training program and leadership, but uh, because I was an August graduate, they wanted me to apply as an internal candidate. And so the cycles were a little off versus HEB Grocery, who I went with. Um, I did an internship with them my junior year and then um, – or between my junior and senior year, and then was able to apply again. And so I did their program. Still some of the best, you know, training and development uh, opportunity. And then really set the stage for a lot of things I did since then.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned that. So I, I went to Baylor's, stick bears. Uh In the business school, <laughs> HEB uh, yeah. does, like – I'm sure they probably do at the tech, like the marketing mm-hmm. plan. And so it was – yeah. One of my, you know, probably favorite moments of going through the business school was doing, like, their initiative, yeah. not knowing at the point that they're actually recruiting, you know, trying yeah. to recruit, you yeah. know, who they're, you know, looking to put in their leadership exactly. program, and things like that. But it's funny that we kind of have very similar right. business yeah. school tracks, yeah. and, you know, here we are. And so, you know, you're entering the professional world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm going to say the, the young lady. <laughs> yeah. You, you have the world figured out at this point, right? Because ah. you stuck to your plan. I'm gonna go to tech, gonna do a business major, get a job. Yeah, this, this thing called
1: life is easy. Oh yeah, <laughs> sure. So you know, I knew I didn't necessarily want a desk job right away, and didn't want to be. So that's why HB was so good because you know, going to the school of retail leadership, I was started out in a store in Waxahachie, Texas. Oh, so I had interned in Cleburne, and then I did my first placement in in Waxahachie. And bounced between that store and the store in Ennis uh, during my rotation and program. So, you know, running a produce department, running the drugstore department, uh, the front end, the customer service, you know. So I will say when I met my husband, I thought, okay, I'm ready to make this pivot because for me to continue going, uh, growing and advancing with the company, i have to be ready to start moving. Right. He worked for the post office at the time. And even though you can transfer, you start all over. Your seniority is location-based. Right. right. So... That kind of was a shift, and I thought, well, if I want to stay with this guy, you know, work. So that's when I decided to go back to school, got my MBA, um, pivot to get to the other side of corporate. Um, but, you know, now I didn't have it all figured out. I've told a lot of people that, look, I don't have a five-year plan. I've always tried to be open to the opportunities and kind of a general direction, um, but not be so so structured or, or right. focused that I don't pay attention to opportunities that knock... <laughs>
0: You know, I'm not saying I I coined this phrase, but I always say organized chaos. It's like yeah. you know, I have a general path, yeah. but how I may get there may might right. be you know the, the traditional way, yeah. but I'm, I know where I want to go. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned something very early on, and I and I, I want I'm curious to hear yeah. the story. You said you met your husband on a blind date. Oh, yeah. Usually blind dates don't lead to marriages for know. you know 20 years now or 21. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry. <laughs> your
1: story. No problem. Um, Yeah, definitely my partner in crime, in all things. He and I, so my cousin by marriage, um, Diana, and her husband, David, knew both of us. And my, like I say, cousin by marriage, because Diana's um, mom married my uncle. Gotcha. And so it was second marriage, you know, kind of thing. And so, um, unfortunately, my uncle had passed. And the guy I was dating was a jerk and, like, stood me up. And I was just like, you know, I'm 24-ish, yeah, 24. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not looking for Mr. Right. But just, you know, somebody to be around for a while and not be right. a jerk. Totally so be consistent. <laughs> and I was not doing a very good job picking them. So the joke was that with David and Diana was that David only had one friend, one guy friend, and it was my, it was Chris. And so, you know, we did, back then it was still, gosh, early 2000, so it was 2001, so it was, you know, paper picture <laughs> Swapping, and okay, yeah, I'll meet her, and so, and vice versa. um So we had already been talking about when we would they would set up like for us to meet. And as it turned out, it was my aunt's uh, birthday. It was the first birthday after my uncle had passed. That gotcha. we were all rallying around at her house, and so my husband came to meet me there. And I was supposed to go to the party and then meet some girlfriends for dinner and a movie. And that didn't happen because he came and then they came over. And so he met half my family that same night as he met me. Um, and, in fact, had one of my friends on the way. It's, they were walking out uh, to their cars and I walked him out, you know, so we could so we could talk. Right. And she said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, he's nice, you know. I, it's hard to, you know, everybody right. Were right. in a fishbowl kind of sense. She goes, well, if you're not interested, let me know. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, like first dibs. So, <laughs> you got first yeah. of refusal. <laughs> We We uh, It moved pretty quick, though. And my mom had always said, you just know. And I wasn't looking for the one, but he ended up being the one. And I did know. And my family went to, uh, was going on a trip. And I asked my dad and my parents, like, hey, you know, it was like you could get crazy, you know, low fares to Europe. So mm-hmm. we were going, this was January when I met him, so we were going to go in March. And I said, "Can I invite a friend?" And so I invited him. And so we've been together. We I known him for ten days when I invited him, and when we actually oh, wow. went on the trip to Italy with my parents and the, another friend from college and this friend, um, we've been together like six weeks. But ironing kind of. We both kind of knew like this was this, this, this was it. it. Yeah. this
0: is it. Yeah. So that is pretty fast. <laughs> ten days, and hey, do you want to go to Europe with me? What was yeah. his response?
1: He was like, "Yeah," because he wanted. <laughs> A girl, someone who wanted to travel and he wanted to go see and do things. And so, yeah, his parents freaked out a little bit, or his mom, I think. But But you know, it's
0: it's something about that story. It's like, you know, when you know, you know, but also when you're with a person that's not, that's on the, that that you're equally yoked and kind of aligned with, why waste time?
1: My grandma always, my grandma met him and uh, she met a couple guys along the way and she said, you met your match, which basically meant like, he could go toe-to-toe with me. And he, you know, can He says, you know, we're yin and yang to each other. Some things we have nothing in common with whatsoever and then a lot of other things we do, of course.
0: So I always say that me and Jordan, we have, we're so different that we're so much alike.
1: Yeah. Like yeah. Our, our
0: differences is what balances out. But then, you know, we're so aligned in so many yeah. things. So, yeah. But so you, you get it. And uh-huh, it I
1: totally well. get it. Totally get it. And
0: so now with your, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, you know, you have your <laughs> your, your partner and so now, you you know, you're doing your MBA. Mm-hmm. What's what's next for you at this point at this juncture?
1: So that's when I, you know, made the pivot to to Radio Shack. Um, you know, at the time I had been doing the landscape analysis. OK, we had Bombay Company, Pier One, um, you know, Radio Shack just locally, let alone the container storage, Penny, you know, retail was doing OK. Um and so, use the, the opportunity to pivot and get on the corporate side. So, TCU alums own, you know, MBA alums were really good for me for quite a quite a long time until I made the pivot to nonprofit. Um, you know, so really, it was just a great opportunity to work at Fortune five hundred company downtown. It was the old you know towers, right, right, that then turned into you know great campus and stuff, corporate buildings and whatnot. But um, Then they built a new campus, so I got to see that and be part of being a new office and space and, you know, go from the offices to the open concept. Mm -hmm. And then we had some, you know, leadership challenges. So it definitely felt like, I told people I felt like I was living in a business case uh, during the time that I was there because I saw the CEO transitions and leadership shifts and communication challenges. And like I said, that's when I figured out I needed to not only be mentally stimulated by my work, but also have... Connection with it emotionally, you know, have a heart for it. So I reached out again to the network of TCU alums and started networking a little more actively. I'm definitely somebody that believes in networking all the time and, you know, building those relationships. But that's how I ended up at the Health Science Center. Uh, New University president had been there about six months. So I was part of like the new regime and excitement around. All of that and um, didn't realize I was actually part of someone's succession plan. So mm-hmm. I came in as an administrative director to work on um, their research centers and institutes and then shifted into um, an acting role as acting chief of staff and doing my old job, too. So that was a busy, <laughs> busy time. And loud, had a big life curveball at the time. Um, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Oh, wow. And so... Like right the same month that I became acting chief of staff. So, all of that is going on all at the same time. But I think, you know, I was put there for the reason and for the time because the people I worked with, my colleagues and everything, that's what helped us get him to MD Anderson. And so, that's why he is a walking miracle because 14 years later, he's still with us.
0: You know, and and you, and I say this one first, Glad that your dad is still, because that's not everyone's story with pancreatic cancer. It's, you know, it's, it's sometimes coined as just when.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's especially special to me because I was born on his birthday. So I am his 30th birthday present that keeps on giving, as I say. (laughs) And, you know, so you can imagine, you know, we have a, we drive each other crazy but we also have a really tight bond. So, um, you know, being able to help be his patient advocate while well, my mom could then be, you know, his spouse and handle those kinds of things. And we work together in that sense. Um, you know, I have no doubt that that's part of why he's still here with us. So, um, you know, treatment and everything. So, you know, knock so, on wood, we've had a lot of great memories still together. And, and so, we'll
0: continue to yeah, still have memories.
1: Yeah. So, um, but we know we don't take, we try not to take it for granted.
0: So, you know, (laughs) doing the UNT Health Science Center, at what point did you feel the need to be connected to community?
1: Oh, gosh. So I grew up with a family that, you know, we were always good neighbors, helped people out. Like it wasn't service wasn't formal, like board service or, you know, sign up to volunteer. But it was just be good neighbors, be good citizens. And so. When I finished the MBA program, I was like, oh, I have all this free time. What am I going to do? And I wanted to give back. So I started with Hispanic Women's Network and mentoring and getting involved with high school Latina girls because I felt this sense of duty and obligation that, you know, too much is given, much is expected. Right. And right. I want to give back in that way. I know I've been, even despite challenges or hurdles along my, my path, it doesn't compare to so many pupils. And so I want to be able to make it easier for anyone else I can. Um, and so that volunteering started it. And then going through Leadership for Worth and working at the Health Science Center, being around, you know, people are doing amazing work in the classroom, training the you know, future providers or researchers or um, scientists or community leaders in that sense um, was so inspiring, too. And so, you know, feeling like I want to do my part.
0: Right. Well, you know, I would just want to give a shout out to the Hispanic Women Network. Oh. You all have some dynamic women who yeah. either are part of it, been a part of mm-hmm. it, from yourself, Roxanne Martinez, Annette Landeros, Rosa Navajar. Yeah. The list can continue yeah, yeah. to go on. And so anytime I hear about the Hispanic Women Network yeah. and, you know, who's I'm like, sheesh, that's, it's- you know, it's the who's who of of Fort Worth, Tarrant County.
1: Yeah. I think it's a great organization. I tell people all the time it's good to take your skills there and, and put it to good use, but also to learn and practice and do things that you can then take to your, you know, professionally and in the community, too. Gotcha.
0: And, and so, you know, with that sense of, you know, community and wanting to give back mm-hmm. and, you know, you decided to,
1: you know, I think I'll run for public <laughs> office.
0: How did that decision come about?
1: Oh, gosh. I think as I got more and more active, you know, so after Leadership for then and my first board was the Arts Council Board of Directors and Health Science Center kind of supported that uh, participation and, you know, involvement in the community and just starting to be more and more involved. You know, one of those things, that whole saying, you know, how to get something done? Ask a busy person. I kind of started being that and I asked questions. I right. built relationships yeah. with people like Rosa or... Um, Councilman, uh, former Councilman Salaspino was you know, in my neighborhood. And so he's the first elected official that I knew personally and could call or text or email or you know what have you. And, um, so you know, he started, too, by asking me multiple times to be on a board or commission. And I finally said yes to the Library Advisory Board during a time when funding was tough. People were questioning the validity of, of, of libraries and all the relevancy, and so kind of sparking some of that advocacy work. Um, but then just getting more and more involved and seeing that my business expertise and background and my you know my service background was a benefit. Um, and then honestly, people started asking. They said, would you ever run for office? And I used to say, no, 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 I work for state agency, da-da-da-da-da. And then it's just over time, I was like, well you know, I talked to these young ladies about their dreams and, you know, opportunities and, you know, when people see things in you that maybe you don't see in yourself, how you need to maybe stop and listen. And so I took stock of that and said, you know, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? And so I started changing the response to, you know, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's not if, it's when. And so, you know, floating that out there and then finally deciding, strategically looking at the the particular race um for council district two at the time the 2015 results was really close you know less than 30 votes so again every vote counts Right. right? right 30 votes was less than 30 votes made the decision on who was um winning that seat and so you know Launched my campaign, launched early, you know, a little bit of tests involved and strategy, knowing that I probably wasn't like the heir apparent or, you know, the one that was going to be, you know, endorsed by a bunch of folks. But I I held my own enough to force a runoff um, and ran the campaign in a way that I knew I wanted to still live and work in Fort Worth and make a difference. So, you know, I didn't have to hang my head. There was nothing that me or my team did that I'm ashamed of or embarrassed by. And a lot of people even complimented how quick I bounced back because I took about a month off from everything. <laughs> My husband was like, are you going to go back to work? Because I was just chilling. you know. I was on the porch a lot. I was you know, just relaxing and really kind of unwinding and decompressing from the campaign, but also busy 10 years at the Health Science Center. Uh, and then I did consulting work for about a year to kind of balance and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and then the opportunity, which I'd already been talking about, Joining a nonprofit and putting my, combining my passion and right, my you know right. purpose kind of thing. Uh, so that's how I ended up at Girls Inc. and and reaching out and saying let's have coffee because several people sent me the the job posting and there you go. Gotcha.
0: And so you know, did you? I know you mentioned a lot of people kind of approached you about. Yeah running for office, is it something that you early on ever had an interest in? Or oh, it
1: gosh, no. Because, no, you know, no.
0: statistically speaking, and I don't know this actually if it's a real statistic, being a Victorian, a lot of politicians, elected officials, were their class Victorian, student body presidents. And so there might have been, you know, a natural correlation there. Yeah. But
1: Well, now that you say that, I do remember back in high school, I ran for class office I really and I couldn't, I couldn't get elected. And, you know, it was the cheerleaders it was the jocks or, you know, what more stereotypical kind of folks. And my friends, some of my friends said, look, Jennifer, it's more, that's more of like the popularity of the stuff. You should run for student government, student body government, because those are the people that are actually like dealing with administrators and pushing for changes and all that. So I ran for vice president and got that. Gotcha. So to your point, I guess I should have put that See. together, but I didn't think about it until you just brought it up.
0: You know, you know. <laughs> We all relive our high school days, right? right? Yeah. I have to live and work with a person who beat me for student body, president every day, Turner Thornton. If you're watching this, Uh, I I have not forgiven (laughs) you. Even though we're partners together, I still have not forgiven you. There you go. But Competition's good, right? Yeah, competition's good. Competition's good. And and so, you know, you had that experience. What did you learn, not about your campaign, but what did you learn about yourself after running for uh, public office?
1: I figured out that I was, um, you know, tougher than I thought. Got the chance to meet some amazing people that I would not have otherwise met. Got to really get to know my city and the district uh, in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise, you know, again, had the opportunity to do so if I hadn't jumped into that, that pool and that uh, that pond. I also didn't, I also learned even more about, like, how much people are watching you when you don't think they're watching. You know, from those that talked to me during the race, after the race, the people that got involved that didn't know me and what that leap of faith looked like for them, as well as those that, you know, were maybe quietly supporting behind the scenes or, or actively supporting on the front lines with me. And, um, you know, just learning that, just a re- reinforcement of my values, I think, and who I am as a person and the kind of leader I want to be. Um, And what I want to get done for the community, whether it's in a policymaking role or it's in a role like I have now where I get to help influence and shape and expose and um, hopefully help get people to think a little differently or add to their their perspective uh, as they move forward.
0: And so, you know, I do a little bit of research before I invite (laughs) my guests on and, you know, to to take what you've talked about from right. what you've learned about yourself running mm-hmm. for office, but just that general experience, you know, I saw and read an article that you participated in the Fort Worth Way conversation. Right. Uh, one, can you explain to the audience what the Fort Worth Way is, or oh, what boy. it's deemed yeah. to the public eyes? But did you experience that or see that during on the campaign trail? Oh
1: yeah. So. In general, the Fort Worth way was originally, I think, coined by maybe Mayor Moncrief back in the day, but, you know, as a, as a thought and a process of how Fort Worth does politics or handles public disagreements compared to, say, our neighbors to the east, you know, being more public or rowdy or controversial. Uh, so we try to do things a little more quietly, a little bit more maybe orchestrated behind the scenes. There's some, you know, key decision makers that kind of drive who gets to do what type of thing or where resources go and that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of the thought process around the Fort Worth way. So some people think of it very positively if they, especially if they benefited from it and I'm not saying I haven't. Um, but then there's others that say, you know, they've never had a seat at the table or even an opportunity of voice. Um, so I think that, you know, that conversation we had it was a panel discussion that the Fort Worth report did, um, And some people that when they saw I was signed up to do it, they said, Are you crazy? Why are you going to subject yourself? I said, No, this will be a good discussion. I think I have good experience to share, um, different perspective, viewpoint. I'm not trying to represent all Hispanics or all biracial people or all 40 somethings or anything like that or all women. Um, You know, I'm just trying to share a perspective, my lived experience and whatnot. So, yeah, I think the fact that there's some people who, you know, how they picked who they were going to support for District 2 before even maybe having a conversation with me. You know, so some of those pre, pre-made decisions, right. you know. Um, and that's some of that's just politics. Right. But some of that is, I think, too, you know, the Fort Worth way.
0: Do you feel like the, the, the Fort Worth way, if you will, is a barrier for, you know, people who have an interest in not only serving, but also leading?
1: I do because I think what I've seen – Kind of back to what I was saying about in high school, there is, and there's growing shift, but especially I would say mid-2000s, early 2000s in Fort Worth, there was still a lot of tokenism, you know, so, um, and I've tried to take this approach when people ask me to serve on a board or serve on a committee or whatnot, oftentimes I know they're looking for a woman, they're looking for a woman of color, Latina, you know. And so rather than me saying yes to everything because there's just not enough days and time and all that, is who else can I recommend? Right. But I'm also careful about that because I don't want it to be where I'm subjecting someone to be a token and that's just checking the box versus they're going to have a true voice. They really, this organization or entity wants that perspective and is trying to build that relationship intentionally and not transactionally. And I think Fort Worth is still working through that intention versus transaction.
0: Do you think it's not a lack of not being intentional, but uh, more comfort into, hey, let's oh, yeah. let's go to Jennifer or let's go to the, known, know, known, the known commodities, right? We're rather than letting relational. someone else up uh, yes. and trying to see.
1: We're very relational in Fort Worth, and that can be a good thing and a, and a bad thing, right? Like, oh, I know I can call or if I need this question, like, you know, let me text on. But at the same time, we can be in our own little bubble or a vacuum, and we all have bias, right? So we just did an exercise with our board and staff um, at Lucia for Worth that was interesting, and I've tried to be mindful of both my professional circle and my personal circle. My family is definitely a very diverse circle, um, race, ethnicity, LGBTQ+, as well as viewpoints and perspectives and politics, which we have to be careful about. <laughs> um, but just taking stock of that, and I think so much... So many people in Fort Worth maybe don't think about that. And so I think you really do. It's human nature. Like attracts like. And so if we're not intentionally putting ourselves out there and kind of exercising that muscle to be uncomfortable, be in situations that we're not the majority, um, that we're open to other perspectives and lived experiences and understanding why somebody thinks the way they do or what their their upbringing, how they've gotten to where they are, Um I think that makes such a big difference, and so I think Fort Worth's definitely come a long way, and especially in the last couple of years. I think you know, twenty twenty to now, I think society as a whole, and especially in Fort Worth, I think we're seeing some nice leaps. There's still some cha- there's still lots of challenges, but yeah. some big shifts. I think that are starting to happen.
0: No, I agree with you, and and. I hate to use this as a reference, mm-hmm. and it's not to pick sides for yeah. politics, who's wrong or, or who's right, but I truly feel like the George Floyd incident made everyone kind of like come to the table and say, we have to do something. Let's, yeah, it's, enough it's, is enough. Enough is enough. It wasn't about who was right, who was wrong, uh, Democrat, Republican, left, right, right, whatever. I think that moment in time yeah. in our history really defined us and I feel like it kind of brought us together as a community at mm-hmm. least here in Fort Worth I felt like that because you you saw people from all different perspectives like right we need to have a conversation we need to you know yeah. be more intentional about how we're going to move forward
1: right I think so too um, between George Floyd being killed and then the pandemic you know the disparities I think that also were highlighted about whether it's Wi-Fi access in homes and students, food insecurity, uh, you know, economic insecurity, health disparities from you know access and day to day. I mean, so many things that I think that's what sped up some more of this desire for societal changes and 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 our community and understanding that if everybody is better off in our community, everybody's better off in our community, kind of thing. So I think um, we've definitely made some strides there, and we're, you know, leadership forward trying to be part of that conversation. And you know, I'm blessed to be work with um, Sarah Fairley Luna, our program director, and she has a really unique background in both having I mean, social work background, as well as a, a master's degree in um, conflict transformation and peace building. Uh, so she'll tell you she loves conflict. <laughs> Um, But she likes to get people in. She can be uncomfortable and let it be there and really help bring people together and, and create those spaces where we can have those conversations. And like I tell my board, if we can't have tough conversations in Leadership Fort Worth where we build community with these cohorts over time and in different spaces and places and topics, then where else can we have it? You know, so my hope is what we do here can translate out into the community.
0: You know, as a proud alum leadership class, (laughs) 2019, uh, you know, I enjoyed and really loved my experience in Leadership Fort Worth. And so you get a a front row seat now um, um, with Leadership Fort Worth. Um, How, what does our future leaders look like from the pipeline?
1: Um, Definitely more diverse. You know, we have attracted more diverse candidates from all different aspects um, in, in the last couple cohorts. And, you know, I'm proud of that from reputationally speaking, you know, living and working in Fort Worth for 20-something years. Um, I don't take for granted that part of that is because we've had participants say, I want to do it because you're leading the organization now, or what, like what you, we're, y'all, we're seeing y'all doing, where you're, you know, incorporating, you know, from intentionality of our vendors uh, who we're partnering with, organizations we're with speakers we bring in, the materials we use, um, all those kinds of things so that we really are walking the talk because that was something, you know, our organization issued a statement prior to me, just like many others about George Floyd and the DEI committee and doing some new efforts. And I'm the one that's been pushing, okay, but how do we make sure it's not just a statement? It's not just a committee. What does that look like? So we're really pushing to make our cohorts look like Fort Worth. And so we're not there yet, but we've definitely made some strides and, um, you know, have some great momentum and energy as we go on our 50th anniversary. We're celebrating in two weeks from today, which is exciting. Hard to believe it's already here in some ways, (laughs) but excited to have it come to to fruition.
0: And so you say that, you know, 50 years first, congratulations. Thank you. But you're the third executive director in the 50 year history.
1: It's kind of crazy
0: kind of crazy love Harriet <laughs> but how was that stepping into you know something yeah. that's that's been built up has a reputation mm-hmm. but it also has you know the institutional knowledge in right. Harriet but also her presence and so how right. do you make it your own leadership footprint from your from your yeah. lens and how you want to see the organization go for the next 50
1: so i think it's been a, you know a journey and a learning process you know uh as the board even told me recently i inherited a really unique set of circumstances when i stepped into this role in january of 2021 we're still in the midst of the pandemic um you know lo- following a long time leader we did some transition work but you know there's so much institutional knowledge there's things she will forget more about leadership for than i'll probably learn mm-hmm. and, and absorb uh so there's a lot of like Feeling sometimes of a stops and starts because, you know, I don't know what I don't know or why we do certain things or why, you know, but also still the opportunity, which is exciting to make a difference. So bringing some of my background around, you know, process improvement, my my strengths are and taking something and taking things to the next level. I'm not necessarily your... Entrepreneurs start from this, you know, scratch, but definitely good at taking organizations or entities or projects and moving them up to the next level. So I'm excited in that, you know, and trying to be balanced with my desire for change and enhancement, but also being respectful and honoring our past, you know. So that's always a juggle. Um, I think that's where being in politics and being a former candidate, you know, and former chief of staff, where I had a lot of lead through influence versus right. authority practice that comes into play in this kind of situation where we're very diverse. You know, I'm alum from 1970s that are still involved and engaged, past board presidents that we meet with once a year, to alums that just graduated, you know, two weeks ago, right? So, and everything in between from an aged background. So, trying to meet their needs where they are, offer diverse activities and programming for alums to keep them engaged and you know, keep everybody, that's, it's a lot, it's a tall order, Um, but we focus first on the programs and making sure those, you know, going from a virtual cohort and getting them all back up and running in person and then staffing changes as attrition and other things have happened over the time um, and just trying to keep raising the bar. That was our theme internally last year was raising the bar. Um, And then this year it's really focused around the 50th. So, we're gonna take that all the way, even though our fiscal year ends in June, we're gonna take it all the way through the calendar year. As you should. Yeah.
0: As you should. And so, you know, as executive director of Leadership Fort Worth, yeah. you know, you are uniquely situated to where you get to see not only the the current
1: mm-hmm. business
0: leaders in our community, but you get to see the 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 up-and-coming young professionals mm-hmm. and even down to the kids. Right. And so where we are at in Fort Worth. Uh, Are you hopeful for what our future is or or are you kind of discouraged?
1: No, I'm hopeful. Um, You know, sometimes things like the recent elections and voter turnout are disheartening. Um, You know, some of the the local, the the national politics that play out locally is disheartening. You know, some of the common sense things that we can't seem to get done downtown or at City Hall or in Austin is disheartening. How, but having conversations and seeing the progression of these cohorts because I attend every session. Um, I've yet to miss the session, thankfully, Um, you know, come late to a couple had to leave early from a couple, but I've been in all of them. And because to me, that is, you know, the best place to be in so many, uh, so many of our days, our program days to see the leaders in action, hear their discussion. I learn all the time and it's helping to shape what we talk about and where we go and, you know, making sure that we're helping meet the leaders where they are now. Uh, Not when I went through in 2009 or you went through in 2019 because the world's changed so much. It's it's more about now and in the future. So very optimistic, I think, you know, just as we're seeing generations in the workforce, we're seeing that with our programs and our cohorts and the mindset and the perceptions and things that they're talking about, things are important to them. Um, And then just the fact too, the number of people that weren't born and raised here. And so getting them kind of up to speed on Fort Worth and what they know about Fort Worth from a past, current, and future um, aspect is is pretty exciting. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you know... Um
0: I wanted to ask because yeah. I read another article, you know, you've you got a lot of articles, you know, so I have a lot of options to read with. And so, uh, you know, you're not shy about being prideful about your Hispanic heritage mm. and being a Latina woman. And so I read the article about Latina women, Latina women and being elected. Uh, yeah. And so do you feel like there is a void in not only Hispanic leadership within Fort Worth, but... Uh, Hispanic
1: women. I don't think there's necessarily a void because we talked about
0: yeah, Hispanic right, true, Women's Network
1: true. and the, the the training ground, um, the the, t- the caliber of talent leaders that have come through that organization and continue to be involved. What I think is there's still been, you know, barriers and hurdles from a access opportunity being asked. You know, women in general have to be asked like seven times to run for office versus men, their male counterparts.
0: I mean, we have to ask women seven times what do you want to eat for dinner. Well, so,
1: so, I mean. yeah, <laughs> Sometimes that's fair. Hard, I tell my husband because I've made so many decisions all day. I don't want to make any more. Um, so usually I just tell him what I don't want to eat. And he just can go from there. But, uh, you know, I think in Fort Worth, it's still... There's so many opportunities. You know, the fact that it's 20, it was 2021 and I was the first woman of color, first person of color to lead leadership for work because we had two executive directors that were great, but long term. So, you know, that doesn't leave an opportunity. The fact that we as a board and the organization even has had one Latina board president, one Latino board president and no black or African-American leaders, male or female, as board president. And it's 2023 is an interesting thing. So I think, you know, Fort Worth, we talk about diversity a lot. But I think kind of what we we're saying about 2020 and George Floyd, but we haven't put our money where our mouth is. Right. Like, I think that comes at the top from most organizations. You know, the leadership has to say, no, I demand diverse slates for candidates, for jobs, for opportunities, for boards. You know, all in nonprofit circles, you're seeing it even more so if the client's. If the people you're serving are diverse but the board isn't, there's a disconnect because right. oftentimes lived experience, background, education, it's, there's a disconnect. And so I think organizations have to do – have to work harder, longer, build those relationships. It can't be transactional because, let's be honest, you can sniff that out usually. Right. You can kind right. of like, oh, this is – no, this is performative. This is just to check-the-box diversity kind of thing versus, no, this is intentional, trying to do better. My thoughts, experience, opinion, my voice has uh, just as much weight as, you know, so-and-so next to me.
0: And so, you know, I I know that you have all the solutions to solve the world's problems. (laughs) How do we get people engaged and want them to Mm -hmm. be, you know, not only have their voices heard, but, you know, their presence?
1: I definitely think it's tough. I mean, you have to role model it. Um, I try to, you know, be educated and help people with that. You know, I don't watch every city council meeting or zoning commission meeting anymore, you know, city planning commission. But I think having an awareness, that's why I think like organizations like Fort Worth Report that cover those kinds of things, you know, where you can get a snapshot and you can stay, have a better pulse of it, figure out whatever your news source is from that standpoint. But, uh, you know, as I tell people, it's so hard. There's so much going on to keep up. You know, so it's a full-time job in the of itself. But I think it's part of, like, our civic duty, right? Like, just, like, voting. You know, you think about anytime I have ever been like, oh, I don't want to research this candidate or, you know, whatever. I think about women and girls in other countries that can't vote and what they would do, how long they would wait in line to vote. And it gives me some guilt. So if I can't, you know, take a break and, you know, maybe not do something else, you know, TV, Netflix, whatever, and do my part. Then shame on me, right? And so I think role modeling that, but also, like, I'm still open. I have folks all the time ask me, hey, who do you know, what do you know about this race? Who do you know about these candidates? Where should I, you know, look for resources? You know, I put stuff on my social media and try and encourage that and be that facilitator. Because okay. um, I think it's important to just role model that. And I think continue to educate. You know, I tell people all the time, we pay attention to the national and Austin, but city, county, school, like that's where it's at. That's right. what's making decisions day in, day out. Directly you know your life more exactly. than anywhere else. Like, and that's also why, like, you know, I tell people we have to be mindful. Not everybody has opportunity or has a job where they can go downtown City Hall like I did and be on the zoning commission and spend half a day and once a month doing that. Right. You know, so we have to also recognize meeting people where they where they are, you know, if they're busy working, you know, kids in school, extracurricular, you know, like when are they going to have time to report that pothole? You right. know, when are they going to have time to report that purple light that we should maybe just have an inventory of across the city or, you know, those kinds of things that that's somebody's job that they audit at night. Right. right. Um, so I think it's that balance. Like, let's use some common sense and be practical about what, you know, normal people's day-to-day, nine-to-five, or whatever that, you know, if it's second shift, third, whatever shift. And then, you know, back to something you said way back, maybe in our offline discussion, thinking back to not just what benefits you, but what's going to benefit your neighbors. And I'm talking your neighbors down the street, across the city, you know, different zip codes, uh, different um, council district, whatever, you know, really thinking, and that's what we talk about it, Leadership 4th, right? Community trusteeship, doing, making decisions that are going to benefit more than not, and it definitely not hurt anyone in the process. So I think that's some of the key to, to our future success. I think that's good. I think
0: that's good. You know, 40 years from now. Oh, gosh. And you <laughs> have uh, 10 years away from the 100-year celebration <laughs> of Leadership For you finally decide to retire.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And we're at this big, elaborate (laughs) uh, retirement party for Uh Jennifer Trevino. Oh, gosh. How do you want people to remember you by?
1: Oh, pretty simple, I hope, that I helped in some way, that I left things better than they were, um, helped them either personally, professionally, family, community, um, you know, just that I didn't just take up space, that I made the best of my opportunities, the resources I had. Um, You know, I'm not looking for awards and flashy stuff. Just was it a life well spent?
0: That's good. That's good. Well, Jennifer, I... Thank you truly for joining me uh, on Take This Down. It's been an honor and a privilege. And I just wanted to let you know whatever I can do to assist you, whether that's helping recruiting uh, for leadership, <laughs> Fort Worth, trying to get my wife in this year. Yes, so I So she gets accepted. Yes. Uh, but helping, you know, I, I, I think the word that you use is uh mentoring uh Mm -hmm. our community on making sure that they are not only good neighbors but they're engaged uh i'm here for you but thank you again for for, for this opportunity
1: i appreciate it applications for leadership class 2024 are available online and not due until june 30th
0: okay you hear that so apply (laughs) get your applications in and it's a great program i can tell you that so thanks thank you again. Thank you for watching this episode of Take This Down. We had a great conversation with Jennifer. We got to learn about her upbringing, growing up in Joshua, Texas, where she was Valley Victorian, to her days at Texas Tech, where ultimately that led her to Executive Director of Leadership Fort Worth. If you missed any previous episodes, be sure to go back and check them out. Thank you again.